0: This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at Johnson at parkviewfindley.org. I love, still love watching it, and when I get a chance, I play softball uh, any opportunity I get. Um, and so growing up, I played all the way through grade school, and when we weren't playing on, in the rec leagues, we were playing at home. We had the biggest yard in our neighborhood. All the neighborhood guys would come over, and we would play literally sun up to sundown so we couldn't see the ball anymore. And my dad uh, always told us to practice like you're going to play, all right? And if you've played anything with me, you know that I only have one speed, and that is as hard and as fast as I can, all right? I'm not, I'm not going to give anything up out on the field. And so, because we were homeschooled, we didn't get to play baseball in middle school or high school. So, we got to play on the church's softball team with my dad, which was a lot of fun. So, there's my dad and me and my two younger brothers. So, there's four of us on this team. And every year before the season, the team would decide to have a practice. And all four Gillespie men are in the outfield. And we are diving and running, and rolling, and doing everything we can to catch every single ball that is hit in the air. And people would just look at us and laugh like, what is wrong with you guys? Right? We played practice like the season was on the line, or that practice was going to end if we didn't somehow get to this ball. And that was the furthest thing from the truth. right? But we were taught, you practice like you're going to play. And if I'm going to do that during the game, I'm going to do it during practice. And so this morning we're going to be sharing... Philippians chapter 4, and I particularly like what we're going to be talking about this morning because to me I think it's a blueprint on how we're supposed to live our lives, how we're supposed to practice for the things that are going to come up in life. It's a blueprint, principles that we need to have in our life, things that we need to put into practice so that when things happen in life, when the good times are here, when the bad times are here, we are fully prepared to be a light in the world around us. To share Christ with everybody through our life, and they see him in us by the way we live. But before we get into Philippians chapter 4, I want to give some background on the writer of Philippians chapter 4. And that's Paul. And Paul spent his early life as a Pharisee, studying Scripture. And according to his interpretation of Scripture at the time, anybody who opposed God was a threat. A threat that needed to be eliminated. And so, Paul saw Christianity and Christ's followers as the enemy. And he did everything he could to put a stop to Christianity. He sees it spreading all over the world, and he says, No, not underneath my watch. And so he's going everywhere he can to imprison Christians, or to have them killed. And so he's sent to Damascus to go remove Christians from that area, because it's growing. And on his way, he has this encounter with Jesus. A bright light comes, and he speaks to him, and he says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you trying to put a stop to something that God has ordained? And it's in that moment that Paul changes. He realizes Jesus is God's Son, that Christianity is the right path, that this is what God intends. And from that moment on, he gives his life to spreading Christianity to planting as many churches as he can all over the world. So Paul's plan was to go travel to a city, meet people there, tell them about Jesus, baptize them, put them in groups, form churches. And from those groups of people, he began to put leaders into place, knowing that someday he's going to go to another city and do it all over again, and he needs people here to lead the church, to guide them in truth, And so that's what Paul begins to do. He goes from city to city, spreading the message of Christ to the world. And he's successful. He's doing amazing work. And the people that he used to associate with, the Pharisees, now see Paul as a threat that needs to be dealt with, that needs to be stopped. And so they have him thrown in prison. And while he's in prison, they're even coming up with a plot to kill him as soon as he gets out of prison. Right, And Paul's aware of their plot to kill him. And I can't imagine being in Paul's shoes, sitting in prison. You've got this mission from God that you've been going out and you've been doing, and you're seeing such great success. And now you're sitting in prison, unable to go and to travel, unable to go and to tell people about the good news of Jesus. You're stuck, alone scared. And maybe we've not faced exactly what Paul's up against here, but in our lives we've had those same feelings of being stuck, being feeling alone, afraid, not sure that if God's really behind what we're doing anymore. But Paul does something here that we need to pay attention to. He gives his situation to God. He's not sure what to do next, but he gives it to God and then he gets creative. He begins to write letters to all those churches that he had visited. And he begins to, to use the Scripture and the Bible that he understands to tell them, here's how you live a Christian life. Or here are the issues that you guys are dealing with. You're facing these problems, so let me tell you what the Bible says on how to deal with these issues. He's using the Bible and Scripture and these letters to help correct people, to train them, to spread the message of Jesus to the world around him. Now, I'm confident that if Paul would have never been put in prison, he would have continued to be a successful missionary and spreading the gospel all over the world. And his legacy from those mission trips would have outlasted his lifetime. It would have been a legacy that carried on for a while, but eventually, I think that legacy would have faded. But what he got while he was in prison, and letting God have his circumstances, and working through Paul and his situation, his legacy carries on today. See, the New Testament is written, and most of the New Testament is the letters that Paul wrote to those churches and to those Christians and those individuals. And to this very day, Paul's words are still changing lives. The words that he, writ- he wrote to those people are still bringing people to Jesus every single day. 2,000 years later, over 2,000 years later, his message His impact is still being felt on the world today. And that's an amazing thing. And if he'd have just packed up, gone home, and given up and been frustrated, we'd have never had the blessing of his words to change our lives. But one of the first things, and I think Paul gives us kind of a blueprint on how to do this, what we need to do in our lives so that we can make a similar impact, something that's going to last past our lifetime and change the world around us. And I I think it starts right here with Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. As followers of Christ, we need to know what is true, what is noble, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely, what is admirable, what is excellent and praiseworthy. We have to know what those things are. We have to look at the Bible to see what those things are. If we want to change the world and lead people to Christ, we have to know where to find whatever is true and whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is excellent, and whatever is praiseworthy. And if we know where to find those things and we're able to identify it, it will help us to stand up against the things that are false, that lack character, the things that are wrong, that are mixed up, that are hateful, that are dishonoring, that are self-centered. Paul tells us to focus on these things so that we will keep God near Focus on these things so that your relationship is focused on who God is calling us to be. By focusing on what is true and what is right, we will know where truth comes from. The truth comes from Scripture. The truth is found in Jesus. By knowing what is pure and what is noble, we'll know what characteristics to look for in people. We'll know who we can rely on in tough situations or when we're struggling with things who are going to help give us strength in those tough times or help help hold us accountable to staying true to who God has called us to be because we know what characteristics we're looking for. We know what is pure. We know what is noble. If we know what is lovely and admirable, we'll know what truly, what love really looks like what God's great love can do in the lives of other people. By knowing what is excellent and praiseworthy, we'll stop wasting our times on things that we shouldn't be wasting our time on. We praise so many things and give so much of our time to things that are just going to pull us away from God or distract us from God at best. That we allow to remove us from where God is calling us to be, to re- to numb us to what God is calling us to do. And so when we get in those stuck situations, we fall back on things that aren't excellent or or praiseworthy. But then Paul ups the ante. He says, not only do you need to focus on these things and put these things in your life and make these things a priority, you're going to have to practice it. All right, so let's, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 9, he writes, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Practice is a lot of things. But practice starts with a coach, or a trainer, or a mentor. Somebody who's going to come alongside of you and say, here's what you need to do, and here's why you need to do it. It's going to help you develop new skills, or it's going to help enhance the skills that you have that you become better at what it is that you're trying to do. We got the joy last year of our children being in their first kind of organized sports. Bliss did softball and, and Chance did baseball. And even though we had played catch in the backyard and I had tried my best to get them prepared for the season, they had no idea what it meant to work on a team. They knew, they had no idea what it was like to just play the game with other people and to rely on other people in those moments. But to get the training they needed to be excellent or better at the game, they needed it started with a coach and they had to rely on that coach for training. And we have to know who the coaches are in our life. Who are we listening to? Where's our source of, source of truth? Where are we going to first to prepare ourselves for life? The coach makes a difference. The coach either helps prepare the team for victory and make them better, or the coach sets them up for disaster. And I've had lots of different coaches over the years, some worth listening to, and some not so much. I remember when I was 13 years old, our coach was the league director's high school son. He was like three years older than us. He had real, no real authority, and he told us on the first day of practice, look, my dad needed a coach for this team because he didn't have one, and he's making me do it. I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this, but I'm doing it. And you can imagine what kind of season we had, right? We had a coach that was unprepared to teach us what we needed to know. We had a coach that lacked the patience to teach us what we needed to know. And as a result, our team reflected that leadership. But when I was in college, we had a coach that had been a coach for a long time, and he loved the game, and he loved his players, and he loved to teach us the fundamentals and to find ways to make us better each and every day. practice and in both of those seasons we only won one game when I was 13 and when I was in college but they were vastly different experiences right one we never got better and in the other we got better each and every week and it was a joy and it was exciting even in the tough times of losing every single game in our life there's lots of different sources that are telling us what is true Very few of those sources have the Bible as the focal point of what truth is. Very few are using Christ as the basis for their truth. They're using it selfishly to gain popularity, to gain likes, to lead us down a path of destruction. Too often we're using social media, TV and movies and television to that give us our source of truth. And we're trading those things in for what Scripture tells us is true. And it leads us down a path further and further away from God. We need those coaches in our life that sometimes when we are studying Scripture and we just get to a spot where we're like, I don't understand what this means. And we need to have those coaches that we can go to and say, hey, can you help me with this? Right? There's gonna be times in our life where we're struggling with things and we're not sure what to do. But we see our coach acing life even though they're facing some difficult times. And we need to go, hey, how are you doing that? Can you help me? I've got this sin that keeps coming back and I keep getting tempted and I keep getting pulled down by it. Can you help me? Can you help hold me accountable so I can become strong in this area? We need to be seeking out those people in our life and we need to be listening to them We need to be learning from them so that we can put those things into practice in our own life. The people we need to be looking out for are the people that we see God in. We see God in their life. It's people who live a life that is consistent with the life of Christ. It's people who show patience with people that are really hard to have patience with. It's people who love people who don't love them back, but they love them unconditionally because that is who God and Christ has called us to be. It's people who aren't pretending to be perfect. Rather, they're going to tell you, I'm not perfect. But you're going to see in their life, yeah, they're not perfect, but they are doing their absolute very best every single day to live a life that honors Christ. It's the people that we see have peace and understanding in the toughest times of their life. Again, it's the people that were like, "I, I want what they have. I don't understand how they do that, and they can help me through that." And unfortunately, we see more and more people trading in biblical truth and biblical coaching for what the world would call coaching, for what the world says is right, and they're turning their backs on Christ and moving away from Him. And the thing about practices. It's rarely fun. Most people don't like to have practice. Me and my brother Jason loved to practice because we knew it was gonna make us better or at least as good as we could get. Now my youngest brother was a natural. He was phenomenal at sports, but he hated practice. He would never warm up before a game. He'd just roll up, hit lead off, get on base, steal a couple bases and just dominate the game, be an all-star every single year, but refuse to practice. Just was a natural at it. And in our lives we need a lot of practice. I remember when I was 10 and our coach thought that we were a World Series caliber team. Like we were gonna take it all if we just practice hard enough. And so he had a practice set up at like 8 o'clock at night in the middle of the summer under the lights and it poured down rain for two hours. Just poured. And we never threw a baseball. We never lifted a bat. We never even put our gloves on. We just ran sprints in the rain for two hours as a group of ten-year-olds. In college, you know, the season starts in February, and so you're playing it or you're practicing in some pretty poor conditions. And our coach had this uh, this little drill that he loved to do after about two and a half hours of practice. And we played on our we practiced a lot on our college gym floor. And his drill was to throw a, cat a corner across the gym at him. But you couldn't have like a loop in your throat. It had to be straight and it had to be hard. And if he had to move his glove to catch the ball or move his feet to catch the ball, you had to do 15 push-ups. And about two and a half hours in, there's nothing left in my arm. I don't have anything left to get this ball that hard across the gym. But the thought of having to do a push-up or 15 of them was more painful than actually trying to get the ball across. So I will gladly try to do everything I can to get this thing accurately across the floor. And none of that stuff was fun, but all that stuff made us better. It made us more prepared for the game. It gave us a better understanding of what we were capable of. It showed us that what we could actually push past the pain. We could push past this bit of practice to get to the game and realize how that helped. And Paul's saying, put these things into practice. It's not going to be fun, it's not going to be easy. It might be pretty painful, but with God, we can push through it. We can push past that pain, and we'll see the benefits of putting these things into our life and practicing them. And the unfortunate thing about life is we actually don't get practice, right? We just have to prepare. Life is going to come when life is going to come, and we're not going to know when it's going to come, and we're not going to have time to set aside to say, well, I know in a week that this, thing's, this bad thing's going to happen, so I'm going to get everything ready now that I can to face it, right? Life doesn't work that way. We've got to put these things as regular aspects of our life, focusing on these things and putting them into practice so that when those times come, it's instinct. We know exactly what we're going to do. We know exactly where to go for strength and who we're going to rely on. We need to give those things to God so he can work through them and through us to show the world his great love. And so I want to wrap up uh, our, our look at... Philippians chapter 4 with verses 11 through 13. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. And I think this passage is important because I think in this moment, Paul is redefining what contentment is, what a happy life looks like. When we look at Paul's life, he's not experiencing joy. He's not experiencing the kind of success that he thinks he should be experiencing. He's not even experiencing success that he'll even actually see in his lifetime. But yet he's saying, I know what it is to be content In all situations. It's not about the places we find ourselves. It's not about the circumstances we're living in. It's not about the highs or the lows. It's not about the good or the bad. Peace and contentment come from living for God, understanding who he's calling us to be. It's about Going where he's calling us to go, whether we have plenty or we don't have anything, whether life is going well or life is going poorly. Being content is found in living our lives for Christ, doing what he's called us to do, being who he's called us to be. So, where do you find your contentment? When life gets tough, where are you going? Who are you turning to? What are you turning to? And are those things or are those people going to give you the contentment you need? Are they going to give you strength and peace and understanding? When things get tough, does your relationship with God get closer or does it wane and get weaker? Where's your contentment? That's our goal. It's to redefine contentment. To understand what it means to live for God to give him our lives, to give him our highs and our lows, our ups and our downs, to give him everything to say it's yours. Work through it and work through me so that I can be a light to this world, so that I can share the good news of Christ to the world around me, so that I can change the world for you.